The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. All right, everybody. My name is Nubias Woolborn. The name on the marquee is Beer It Is, and we are on CSPN Network. Shout out to the Shout out to the Class Carolina to do the show each and every week. And we are here in Greenville, South Carolina, a.k.a. the Kakalaki. I am here at Brewery 85 my man, Will McCameron. Will. What's up, man? What's going on, brother? How you doing? I'm feeling fantastic, man. Great holiday? Yeah, great holiday, man. You know, getting ready to get the year started. And it's one of the first places I really want to come by. I've been hearing a lot of good buzz. So really looking forward to getting into your beers and hearing a lot of your story, man. So, yeah. let's get right into it, man. Yeah. You started brewing, you're from Greenville, correct? You're from it. Born and raised, born and raised in Greenville. Born and raised in Greenville. Uh, we have two business partners. One's Jeremy Caldwell. He was born and raised in Anderson, and my wife, Meredith, she's from Tucker, Georgia. Yeah. Outside of Atlanta. Yeah, Tucker, yeah. I'm very familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you're born and raised here. So, I'm assuming getting to craft beer, you probably were familiar with the old boys at Thomas Creek. Yeah. I actually used to work for Tom uh, a while back. Uh before that, me and my wife went to Clemson University. Mm. Uh, she learned how to brew wine in a class there, and so we did that a lot. Really? Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of where I kind of discovered fermentation. Mm-hmm. And then once we got out, I looked at brewing then. Like, I was like, yeah, let's get let's brew some beer. And I looked at all the stuff, so I was like, no. <laughs> uh, I'm too lazy. I was really lazy in college. Uh, when we got out, I was pretty uh, was looking for a hobby, and that's the first thing. And it turns out I was pretty good at it. So when did you know the wife was going to be the wife, man? Do what? When did you know the wife was going to be the wife? Uh, senior, uh, her senior year in college, my second junior year. <laughs> second junior, it happens. I mean, you know, it sometimes takes boys a little longer to figure it out, but you know, it's all good. I think as the wife kind of gently walks by there, so he had to kind of keep it nice. So, that was, that was the real story. Like, it was the thing, was the moment where you just kind of knew you guys were going to make it and do the whole life thing? Oh, yeah. Uh, I knew from the moment I saw her. <laughs> I, we met in our first uh, class, freshman English class class at, uh, at Clemson. Oh, nice. We went to like the summer semester uh, before the actual freshman mm-hmm. semester, and that's where we met. Oh, that's awesome, dating man. dating ever since. Bless your heart, man. <laughs> when you meet the right one, you better stick with it. One thing I've noticed about brewers, I've been like, I've been able to go to brewers all over the country, man, and I really like to get in the spot when I can and just come talk to the guys. And one thing I've noticed, the ones, the brewers who are successful have a strong support system. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And that support system seems to start at home for you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh... You know, Jeremy's my best friend too, so we're, we're all three. I kind of uh, position them in the company because I I, uh, I like to run with stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do a lot of crazy stuff, and I I needed some people kind of bring you in. Yeah, to say no, we're not going to do that. Fair we're enough. Spend money fair on enough. that. <laughs> so, how do you go from being too lazy to brew to brewing at this big thirty barrel brew house? Uh, I guess you just get the drive as you get older. You just want to start working and playing less, and it's a natural kind of progression of. Getting older, I so, guess. Not necessarily more mature, but... So growing, so growing up in Greenville, what, what, what were you drinking, man? Uh, the first thing, some of the first beer I got into a craft beer was uh, Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Nice. I was in college. Okay. And then we had a lot of the Abita. Um, Matt, real quick, sorry. No, no uh, Can you monitor that tank? Because it's, it's about to pop off, I think. But yeah, so you're drinking a beta. Yeah, a beta was here uh, big time. Uh, Sam Adams, and uh, I really kind of started developing a uh, 
expansive palette when the brick store in Decatur opened. Oh yeah, yeah. buddy. <laughs> that that place in the Porter in Atlanta were game changers. Absolutely. Yeah, like for me, like I grew up in Atlanta, so my first good beer was probably I think it was still Atlanta Brewing Company at the time, before it was even Red Brick. Um, that brown ale. Right, right. Before that, it was a Newcastle brown, and that's why browns always hold a special place in my heart. My, so for you, go ahead. Sorry, so my, my favorite beer of all time was uh, Schneider's Aventinas. Oh, yeah. The regular, not the Icebox. Mm-hmm. I don't really like the Icebox, but that's where I had it for the first time, and I kind of got into German beers and really appreciated and liked German beers a lot more than any other style. And that was when the cap, the six percent cap was still on in most of the South, too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was that like when the cap finally was lifted? And what you remember, like the first big beer you had? I really don't. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Uh, I want to say it was something because even though even though the law changed uh, when the cap was popped, it still took a while. For yeah, the, yeah. Because I mean, you weren't brewing that way, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I know Thomas Creek uh, did up the creek as soon as that happened. Yeah, that seven point twelve and a half percent. But I didn't even. I didn't become familiar with that beer until I was actually working there. Oh, nice. So, what was it like working at Thomas Creek, man? Uh, it is it is some serious brewing, man. It is. <laughs> yeah, because they a, have the contract brewing side. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, for the audience, explain what contract brewing is. What that basically is is, well, actually, I'll let, I'll let Will explain. I mean, he's, he's the yeah. brewer. So, so it's, um, if you want to open a brewery, that's one avenue you can take to open a brewery. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or if you want to own a brand but you don't want to do, own the brewery or own a brewery, uh, that's a good avenue as well. It's basically where you enter into a contractual agreement with a uh, brick-and-mortar brewery to produce your brands. So and right. a lot of people, um, like I used to brew uh, Wild Heaven. I used to brew uh, Money Night. Money Night, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and all those kind of – and uh, that's a great way for them to concentrate on, well, let's sell the beer – Let's make sure that we get our recipes dialed in. Let's create a demand. Let's create our market. And then then you can take that to the bank and be like, look at all this experience we have. Mm-hmm. It works. Let us get along to build a brick and mortar. And, and basically, for the audience, kind of make that simple is what that means is you have a recipe for a beer. And you mm-hmm. have a certain amount you want to produce. You go to a place like Thomas Creek. You entrust that brewer, one, to keep your recipe secret, which is important. And more importantly, you trust them to brew the beer the right way. Right. I think one thing that Tom Davis and those guys do well is the process. The process will always be the same and it will always be consistent. So if nothing else, whether your recipe is good or not, you'll at least have a consistent beer. Right. They make great beer. Yeah, yeah I agree. Yeah, And, and that will get you in the market and get you started. That's a way. There's also a place called Brew Hub down in Tampa mm-hmm. for if you want to go bigger. And like I said, just don't have the capacity for a big brewing facility to buy the tanks right. and the fermenters and so on and so forth. And where you can learn more about that stuff each and every week is here on Beer It Is. My name is Nubias Wilborn, and I am here at Brewery 85. And we just talked about brewing, brewing systems a little bit. Let's talk about your system, Will. Yeah. Uh, tell us about it. Tell us how you came upon it. And uh, Honestly, it's a 30-barrel Creveller system from Niagara Falls, Canada. Uh, and it is an updated version of the system I used to brew on at Thomas Creek. Nice. Uh, and I simply chose it because I like the Creveller family. And John I, was, I was very familiar with uh, the system as it was. Um, it was really the only uh, professional system I had the most experience with. Mm-hmm. We did stuff in Germany through school where we brewed a, a couple of systems, but that was like I brewed twice a day, six days a week for a really long time. Woo, on our buddy. So, yeah. Those are eight, ten-hour, twelve-hour days. Yeah, man. yeah, absolutely. So. Long days. But, I mean, with, with the Corvella system, 
There's a lot of it that's automated, but there's a lot of it that isn't. I mean, mm-hmm. so are, are you still graining and mashing out? or? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we did it by hand uh, at Thomas Creek, but now um, we have a little rake attachment that just shoots it right out and makes it so much easier. But that has to save at least an hour of time, man. Uh, it saves you back. <laughs> yeah, because you're in there digging, man. That is a grind. It is. Uh, and I really – this this system's going to set up – so you're, a lot of people are used to like a big uh, – uh, regional brewery and macro brewery, like so people have gone to those tours and seen how big and automated and mm-hmm. close those are. This is really nice to have a, a brewery this system, or a system this size, uh, because you can still play around. Like I can, you can change things on a dime, or, mm-hmm. or you know, you can still have fun and, and make large versions of uh, beers. Like we just made one uh, last year with Holy City where we used peaches. Ooh, yeah, that's Belgian fun. beer. It tastes like peach pie. Nice. And uh, we, we just made a, a stout, which I'll let you taste here in a second. Um, we worked on it with uh, French Broad Chocolate okay. uh, Factory up in yeah. Asheville. Mm. And we use uh, uh, Nicaraguan cocoa nibs. And then uh, oh, we just really also released the Rum Runner, which is last year's uh, runner stout aged in Nicaraguan rum barrels. Yeah, I think we'll be trying those two. But yeah. <laughs> right now, I am sipping on one of your lighter beers. Yes, sir. Walk me through this one. This one's fun. I mean, there's a lot of flavor. To, the color on it's really good. It's clean. Walk me through thank this you, beer. Thank you. So this is our 864 Weizen. Um, like I said, my bread and butter is German-style beers, mm-hmm. uh, and we named it 864 after the area code. Uh, and it's really neat because it is a large percent of our of our, of our customers, um, not a large percent, but a good chunk of them are BMW, Germans. You know, nice. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, the factories yeah. are, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really awesome to have somebody from Munich being like, how did you make this beer taste exactly like a Bavarian Bites? And, nice. And I was like, well, I started off with Greenwood Water and Carolina Grains, and <laughs> I took some German hops as a nod to my education and my time that I lived over there. Uh, and then um, uh, we actually harvested, uh, captured the yeast and harvested with uh, Southeast Labs. Uh, it's a startup company out of Anderson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we captured at the Clemson University Research Fruit Farm. Yeah. And so that's most of that beer is all local ingredients. Nice, you know, and it's interesting because on my way up here, I went to Carolina Beer House. Yeah, and Carolina Barn House. Barn House. Oh yeah, yeah. Lord, he's going to kill me no, for that. Fine. He's going to kill me for that because <laughs> we talked to him and I uh, talked to their uh, Will, um, uh, Mr. Helfrich. Yeah, um, really cool old school guy, big gray beard. Keston's great. Yeah, yeah, man, just a cool dude. Sat and had beers in about like two hours. Man, just kicked it and. I love the fact that he's capturing live yeast. Oh, yeah. And I love the fact that they're also collecting a lot of, like, local fruit. Yep. And so he's kind of, like, doing, like, crazy Belgians with strawberries and all types of things. So is that kind of stuff you want to kind of do as well? Um, Not to the same capacity, but. Well, uh, Keston and David, David's the guy I work a lot with as well. He's the guy, Mm -hmm. he's one of the partners in both Barnhouse and Southeast Labs. Oh, nice. And uh, so we've done that a lot. And uh, beyond that strain of yeast, um, not really, because uh, in my opinion, uh, we do German-style and American craft-style beers. We Mm -hmm. do balance well. Okay. Uh, And I I, want to concentrate on doing what we do well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once you start diving into sour territory. That's a whole other ball game. It's a whole other, you're dealing with bacteria, you're dealing with, uh, and a lot of people complain about that, like you guys should, and uh, we've done one before. But it's just you have to pasteurize everything. You have to pull the entire tank apart, pasteurize every piece, scrub it down real good, use separate hoses. Um, my my intentions are to do what we do with regular yeast. And mm-hmm. if anything ever changed 
you know, it's it's always best if you have either a regular brewery and you're regular or like normal style beers, or you're just a sour house. Oh, you do a sour. Um, I know, like Monday Night Friends, like you mentioned, brewing some of their stuff. They actually are starting a whole souring program, right? Like a whole separate facility yeah. that's going to be. You want to keep it separate because mm-hmm. once you get an infection, it's hard to get rid of. Hey, that's the good people at Bourbon County, right? With those stouts, <laughs> man. That stuff. I like that beer. Great brewery, Goose Island. Some people feel a certain way about it, you know, by them being bought out or whatever. But I still like that beer. They definitely had some issues with those barrels. Getting infected, it becomes a thing. And the last thing you want is an infected beer. It won't kill you, but you don't sure ain't going to like it. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and I tell you, like, I'm, I'm a control freak, too. So it's, you're talking about yeast is easier to control than bacteria. Right. So. <laughs> well, so, like, do you guys use, like, a main, you don't have to say what it is, but do you guys use, like, a main house yeast? That kind of goes from most uh, yeah, of we yeah. have a um, we have a house lager. Mm-hmm. We have that southeast strain, the wild kind of Belgian blend, mm-hmm. uh, and then we use a uh, let's see German lager, southeast, and then we use a clean American ale strain. Nice. Yeah. And so, how do people relate to lager? Because like you know, lagers get a, such a dirty name in craft beer. Right. Uh, I don't, man. I don't, I really don't understand why because we make. One of the top requested beers that we get from our clientele that come in our tap room is, and we always get hammered, uh, is they want a light lager. Now, Quick yeah. Time is Hellespock. It's a large lager. I'll let you try mm-hmm. that right yeah. now, actually. Um, one of the main things we get, Quick Time 7.5%. Everybody always wanted a, a uh, an easy drinking light lager, like a, you know, like a... a yeah, like, I, I, yeah, like the Coronas or the, like, the Heinekens of the world or whatever those I mean, are. We're, yeah. we're in, where we live, we're surrounded by lakes, we're surrounded by... Uh, uh, outdoor activities were sort of mm-hmm. by hiking and camping. It's hot yeah. a lot of the time, and you want something, which is a very interesting challenge I think southern breweries have because, you know, if you're in Georgia, Florida, Alabama, you know, you're doing your Muscle Shoals, whether you're in Florida and Miami, right. or whether you're in Georgia on Lake Lanier, I mean, you want at least for just five, six months of the year. Easy drinking. Yeah, you want something easy to and drink I, that doesn't, that's not too heavy. Me, I like stouts all year round, but for a lot of people, particularly people who are entry craft beer folks you want something that's easy on a 90 degree day right and i also think that um the culture down here is, is kind of geared towards a light beer as well uh rather than porch drinking right mm-hmm. uh tailgating um, yeah. grilling you know hanging out with friends outside like a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of activities in the south are outside and it's just like you said blatantly hot right. impressively hot. well yeah and see for me it's interesting like when i lived in the midwest it was the exact opposite it's Winter warmers, it's right. porters, it's stouts, it's imperials, big body beers because well, it's, it's cold. Right. And you're not going. And let's just put it this way: when you have a couple, you're not going back outside anyway. So right. you're going to sit down, right, you're going right. to drink that beer, and it's okay to drink it slow. Whereas, like you said, down south, you're kicking it, you're hanging out, you know, you're having some food. You're going to have more than one. So it seems like a beer like this, even though it's a seven five, and another thing, I got to remark on the color on this beer. It is very clean. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it. I don't see any floaties. I don't see anything weird. Just a clean, good-looking beer. Like, how do you get it so refined? Uh, well, basically, we treat a lot of beers. Uh, we shoot them through a lagering process, whether they're ales or lagers, mm. um, regardless. And we do a lot of uh, kind of tricks in the back, and we don't filter anything um, yet. Uh, we're planning on putting fishing beer in cans. Um, that's next year's goal. Okay. So I imagine we're going to have to start filtering them because uh, we don't want any don't want anything any mishaps out in the market or anything right 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 but uh you know i mean we we just give it all an intensive lagering schedule um ales not so much like right. a, lot, a lot of people try to we, there's a there's a phrase called grain to glass so mm-hmm. beginning to end in our industry and a lot of people try to push that to 
10, 14 days on a nail. Mm. And I'll even go as far as 21 days plus. Okay. Just let it sit. Residency time. I mean, time. you guys got a lot of fermenters too, though, so that kind of <laughs> helps a little bit, right? Yep. Great place yep. to put it because that is, I think, one of the reasons why at least early a lot of craft brewers did Well, two reasons, I think. One, you just don't have more to put it because you got to right. make money. you got to move the beer right, pretty right. quickly. But it seems like you guys, you have several 60-barrel fermenters mm-hmm. to kind of help you out. And I see a little 30 over there. As far as storage and other things, quite honestly, a lot of brewers just aren't good enough, I think, to brew lagers. Well, I don't think it's not that they're good enough. It's just that the 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 industry grew so fast, so mm-hmm. quickly, and there was not... Time to study that craft. Well, not only that, but there just wasn't a lot of back-end experience, like experienced mm-hmm. brewers. So yeah. it was kind of brewed by the seat of your pants for a really, really, really long time. Right, right. So. I mean, and, I mean, and it's a very unforgiving style. I mean, because... You expect a lager to look a certain way and appear a certain way, and if that's not there, it's going to automatically turn you off of it. So to get this style where it looks good, smells good, right. and drinks good, I think is, I think to me, I call it a brewer's beer. Yep, that's exactly. I mean, I hate to say that I brew beers that I like because, you know, you have to brew beer. <laughs> People brew like. beers for your audience, but... Uh, yeah, Fish and Beer and Quentin Time are brewer's beers. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to make sure that because uh, I know that I was going to spend a, probably le- the rest of my life drinking my beers that needed to be <laughs> it's something I can enjoy. So, man, let's let's go back a little bit. And well, before we go back, guys, by the way, listen, always make sure you check out Beer It Is each week on the CSPN Network. My name is Tobias Wilborn here at Brewery 85 with my man, Will McCarran. Let's get into this a little bit. Let's yeah. go backwards. Um, you mentioned, okay, there was a period where the wife learned how to brew wine. Mm-hmm. Or ferment wine, rather. right? Ferment wine, big difference. Brian doesn't get brewed unless it's a barley wine. But anyway, um, and you kind of was learning from watching her and dealing with her. Right. At what point did this become like? You know what? I might can make some money making beer. Uh, honestly, it was. Huh. So I'd homebrewed forever, and then I worked for, for Thomas Creek, mm-hmm. and then I I'd changed jobs, and and. Uh, so what kind of work are you doing? I was doing uh, fire protection engineering. Oh, wow, okay. Um, and switched to brewing and then kind of burned myself out, which is really easy to do in this, uh, mm-hmm. in this industry. And um, got, was lucky enough to have my engineering job back and just pour, kind of poured myself into home brewing and was picking up hours at a, um, the Greenville Beer Exchange here downtown. Nice. Nice little bottle shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of learning the That is a cool bottle shop, man. It, it I really mean, is. Um, and this area, man, has some really cool stuff going on, man. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, Thomas Creek was, I think, the stalwart of South Carolina, really. I mean, are they the oldest active brewery? I think they are. If not... Um, it's either them or RJ. RJ. RJ Rockers? Yes, sir. Okay, I like RJ Rockers. They're pretty cool, too. And I'm glad they finally started styling their beers, because for a while, they were just brewing stuff. It was good, but you didn't know what it was. But, like, they called that bell ringer, like, a pale ale. It's like, no, dude, it's not a pale ale, bro. It was great beer, but it's not a pale ale. But anyway, um, yeah, so they, they've been around for a while. You have you guys, and you have two other spots, um... One flew south and, and birds flew. Bird birds, birds fly south. And Quest. And Quest, yeah. Yeah. And then we got a couple more opening up, which are it's gonna be fun. There's, a, there's also Upstate Beer Company, uh, which is more like a uh, it's operating more like a brew pub. Okay. Really, I don't think they do anything off site. And you've also got Swamp Rabbit out in uh in Travel Dress, which is nice. Very close. Nice. They, they, they brew some great beer too. So what's it like um, having a little bit of? I, would, I guess you would, would you call it competition or what? What's the scene like? No. Uh, and I've always said it. It's much better rather than the fight over the scraps that the conglomerates leave mm-hmm. it's better just to grow the pie 
uh, and we've been, you know, very we, – we've worked well with a, a lot of local breweries, and there's not really we, – we always borrow stuff from each other and help each other out, and there's no infighting. That's cool, man. Yeah. So everybody gets along, everybody plays nice. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a, is there a South Carolina guild? Like, how does that work? Actually, yeah, I'm the uh, the outgoing uh, communications director of the South Carolina Brewers Guild. Nice. Uh, and there are there's about I say a little maybe maybe we're forty or over now. Forty breweries are over now in South Carolina. That's not bad. And we have uh, I believe in the neighborhood of twenty five to thirty members. Okay. Of the guild, so that's pretty awesome. And uh, so you guys get together, you guys meet and right. Yeah, try so, to yeah we we uh, the executive committee meets uh, once a month, and I think we've had two. Two yearly meetings with another one upcoming uh, here soon. So, what's the goal of the guild here? Uh, to just promote uh, promote longevity in breweries in the state. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, the the goal was God, we just need to get laws changed and get up and running. Right, right, right. And now it's more like well, we really need to. We've seen some people uh, on the back end. We've just seen people's like, "Well, I'm going to get into brewing," and they contact us and we're like, well, "We'd like to, you know, sign up. How do we do this?" We're okay. Like, well. That's great. You know, where, where are you at in your journey? And they're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how to brew beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know. What? And, and so, like, I, th- I think the, um, hopefully the goal. Well, do you have any money? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully the goal is to kind of get people, give them, kind of like the Brewers Association does nationally, just right. give them a, good, a, a bunch of good avenues to try to get open and stay open. Um, is there a good homebrewing community, like, guess here in the state and so on and so forth? Uh, there is. I'm actually going to pour you a brown right now. It's the Yeoman's Brown Ale. Oh, yeah. This is the first beer I ever, uh. Like this, I, the first beer I ever brewed was a brown ale, similar to this, and I just kept brewing brown ales, and then it eventually got into this. And this always gets the highest marks from World Beer Cup and, and GABF and everything. For I us. tell you what, man, there's nothing like a good brown ale, man. Um, it is still, if not my favorite, one of my top two favorite styles of beer. Me too. I'm glad you guys do one because a lot of places are either have never done them or they're taking them away just because they don't sell well. So guys, buy brown ales. <laughs> <laughs> or a lot of people do like a. Flavored brown ale, or they'll do a porter. Mm-hmm. They'll do, you know. We'll just, do a, the, one of my favorite beers is, uh, uh, like I said, Schneider Aventinas, but uh, mm-hmm. Avery's uh, Ellie's Brown is one of my favorite. Yes. Yep. It's just a good beer. It is mm-hmm. one you can find pretty easily. It's a good, this is nice, man. Thank you, buddy. Like like I said, like I, I, I tend to like comment on your color of your beers a lot. Like I am really impressed with how they look. They look like the style. Thank you. I know that sounds silly, but... Yeah. I appreciate the beer looking like what you say it is. Well, that's the kind of the German. When I went to school in Germany, in Munich, uh, that's kind of what they drill in your head to make sure that you follow the rules. Everything's got a place, and there's a place for everything. And uh, that's where we got a lot of our balance, not only with aromas, uh, bitterness, flavors, but also they drill in um, yeast byproducts and, and, and just balance across the board, even in the color. I tell you what, another place where you can find balance and bonds and brews is here on Beer It Is on the CSPN Network. We're going to take a quick pause for the cause because my man Will McCarron here at Brew 85 is going to pour up a couple more things for me to sample. And we're going to wrap up and kind of get into a little bit more of his German story. This is Classic of the CSPN. 
Do you like the podcast that you're hearing so far? Well, you can help us out. Keep our podcast free for you by shopping at Amazon. Visit our website, cspn.us. Then click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link at the top of the page. From there, you can shop for music, books, Blu-rays, DVDs, toys, jewelry, apparel, and much more. All with the discounts, quality, and shipping reputation that Amazon has to offer, and all through the CSPN. So, help us out. Go to CSPN.us, click on the Keep Our Podcast Free link, and shop at Amazon through us. Do it today. Alright guys, we are back here on Beard Is, and during the pause, my man Will McCarran here at Brewery 85, pour me up, there's a couple of things to kind of check out, and we'll talk by them, talk about each of them, and we'll start with this wonderful stout. Yeah, uh, it's the Runner Stout, um, we actually brew this, uh, not, uh, not in collaboration, we, we came up and designed the recipe with them, uh, with the French Broad Chocolate Factory out of oh, Nashville, yeah. that's one of me and my wife's favorite. Uh, places to hit when we, when we vacation up in Asheville. Nice. And, uh, how far is Asheville from here, by the way? Mm, depends on where you're driving, how you're driving. Uh, mm-hmm. Anywhere from hour and fifteen to hour and thirty minutes. Not bad. It's, but it's not. It's not like a Columbia where it's an interstate. It's it's very windy. Going yeah. Up the mountains and everything. It's just probably pretty scenic getting up there. Oh then. God, it's great. Especially nice. if you go through the mountains and everything, and mm-hmm. Blue Ridge Parkway and stuff. It's great. Like it. And it gets you some chocolates. Yeah. So it's it's uh it's a single <clears throat> single source uh, Nicaraguan cocoa nibs. And then we've also released the uh, Rum Runner Stout, which is a barrel aged, uh, a rum barrel aged, uh, the same version, mm-hmm. last year's version uh, of the stout. Uh, also, uh, we sourced Nicaraguan rum barrels mm. uh, out of, out of uh, really? Right. <laughs> Nicaraguan rum barrels out of Nicaraguan. Well, I mean, I know, they could have came from Dubai or something, man. You never know, man. Could have came from Dubai, could have came from Jamaica, who knows? Obviously, but seriously, um, well, you know, a lot of good exports from Nicaragua, right? Um, we're just going to move right along. Um, the rum barrel. I've never had a rum barrel stout. So what brought that into conceptualization? Uh, really just, I mean, either. Me neither. And I was like, that is something I want to get into. And uh, we're not going to do it this year because, unfortunately, the, the, the way we brew it, the, the way the rum barrels are coming in, it just didn't work out. Yeah. Uh, but I'd never had it, and I was like, that, okay, I want to be the guy that puts a, a stout into a rum barrel. And those things are, uh, <laughs> when they come in, like the barrel was had been used in in the country for thirty plus years. Oh wow! And it shows up in your doorstep like just this at the end of its life, and it's try, you try to have barely to, holding together. Yes, yeah, so you have to do all this voodoo magic to get it hold beer. And, oh and, my god, oh, it's great though. It was a learning experience, definitely. Nice. And so, man, what's your philosophy on barrel aging? Uh, honestly, right now. Um, as in, what do you mean? Well, I mean, I say if I like, um, how do you go about sourcing the barrels? How do you go about, you know, disinfecting that whole? Thing? Oh, uh, um, so basically, what we do is, uh, I never want to set, um, sit on barrels. Like I get them and try to have something ready to go with them. Mm-hmm. You know, you get them, you check them, you inspect them if they're wet. Uh, you give them a good rinse, uh, and then we 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 nail them with uh, pasteurization, 180. Uh, and let them soak overnight, two nights if need be. Nice. Uh, fill up all the plugs, and we kind of go from there. Like, all right, that's going to work. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. We can fix that. We can't fix that. And then um, we go from there. And then we we try to empty and and fill, uh, just like you would anything else. Like, purge it, fill it, uh, and let it sit. Usually, with bourbons. I'm 
like any kind of whiskey or bourbon or liquor barrel, I go, uh, I found it like six to eight months. Uh, and then we turn around. Shelf life, yeah. yeah, and then we only use them once. Where you, you can get away with using them twice, but like we're just not set up for barrel aging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I found like with wines, are more like 12, 16, 18 months. Oh, it's you know, a long time, yeah, like because yeah. you gotta get all that character out of it. Yeah, and then the rum, we let it, we let it stay in there for twelve months, just about wow. 11, twelve months, and it kind of came out because I knew we were only gonna use it once, and I knew the barrels were so old that. Uh, <laughs> that had to be interesting to see those old barrels coming in, right? And, yeah, and it's nuts because like they came out of this different, different barometric pressure environment. It's like how they do rum; they do it they really quick mm-hmm. because of all the tidal and. Just the climate down there, and it mm-hmm. swells, expands, expands, and expands, and mm-hmm. just constant. So you can, from what I understand, you can make rum in that climate very easily, very right. quickly. And then, you know, for, like, the white rums, because you're not aging them. Right. You just literally, like, as soon as it's distilled, yep. it's pretty much in bottles. Yep. Which is strange to me, but, you know, people like it, so shout out to them for drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but at least with the barrel, put in the barrel, that you get... A little bit of aging, so right. it's kind of yeah. interesting. But then you get people drink white whiskey, so. Yeah, <laughs> actually, uh, I'm a Maker's Mark ambassador. And oh, nice. They, yeah, yeah. They make Me a white too, dog yeah. that you can only get in the ta- in the uh, the gift shop. Mm-hmm. Insane. So good. And yeah. You can use it. Uh, you can use white dog in any, any cases you could use tequila, like margaritas and stuff like mm-hmm. that, or, or in cooking. It's really good. Yeah, it's going to taste good. It's just interesting because all it is is just basically right distilled. It's that same. It is the same product. Yep. It just hadn't been these charcoal barrels yet. <laughs> For however long. Yeah. Which is so if, fascinating. If you get a chance, Kentucky Bourbon Trail is very awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Most of I guess we'll get started. Yeah, we'll talk about that <laughs> off here. Because, man, that, it, we'll, we'll go into a whole other <laughs> podcast. I'll talk about, like, bourbon and aging. Yeah. And just my fascination with, and kind of, I'll tie this back into brewing. Like, you guys go out of your way to be so clean as brewers, mm-hmm. right? Most of the time you go to the facility, you know, if there's a speck of dirt, the brewer's like, oh, my God, it's dirty. You kind of like that earlier. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. It's like, dude, relax. But, I mean, I know. But with, like, bourbon, it's like there's this open vats, and you can put your finger in right. it. And, yeah, they encourage it. Yeah, it's, it's like, so crazy. It's like, dude, like, somebody's going to drink that. Well, yeah, it gets you still. Don't it's worry okay. about it. <laughs> and you, but at a brewery, like, I couldn't go up to the Bright and nope. – <laughs> I would get shot in most places like that. So it's just fascinating. Or I couldn't, like, go touch the grain and stuff like that. So it's just amazing how different and the quality that goes into what goes into your glass. You said grain in the glass. Yep. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. No problem, man. So let's let's go back, let's go back to Germany. Yes. How did you end up in Germany, man? Uh, so I went to uh, – me and Meredith and Jeremy were homebrewing one night, and we had a couple to drink, and – I was like, ah, don't don't so many great stories start <laughs> off like that. I, I mean, I was in that part where I was back working at my engineering job, and I said, "Hey guys, let's let's it's the options there. I bet you we can do it. Let's open a brewery because uh, they all bring different facets of uh, running businesses." Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, "Okay." Uh, and the next thing I knew, I, I went to the World Brewing Academy, which is a, a dual school degree where I moved to Chicago for a little while, a couple months. Mm-hmm. You go to the Siebel Institute. Oh, yeah. And then you hop on the plane and move to Munich, and you go to the Domans Academy. And then you kind of tour brew all around Germ- uh, Europe, Germany, Czechoslovakia, uh, different places like that. So, man, what was the greatest lesson you learned? In- and what time of year was it when you were in Germany, by the way? Uh, the tail end of spring. 
Or not the, okay. ta- the tail end of winter. So oh, like, so you got lucky. Well, yeah, but I, I still got hit with a snowstorm. Like, Chicago was awful. Oh, was yeah. Like, that was dead in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, buddy, man. That Lake Superior. I love that city. But oh, it's it a beautiful is. town, man. I had like eight layers on. The wind still whips off. Oh, yeah. yeah it gives, that's what they call lake effect. And yeah. You're right now on Lake Michigan, man. Yeah. And that, that wind. I look, I lived in Cleveland, so I know because it's on Lake Erie, and it's just one of those great lakes, and it's just wind just blows you. Cuts right And he's one of us, like, small guys, <laughs> but, yeah, we're still getting knocked around. So yeah. imagine, like, if you were a little smaller, man, it, it, Sorry. that wind blows, and yeah. it is of a big effect. But they also grew a lot of good beer. Did you drink, did you drink a lot of Chicago beer while you were up there? Yeah, uh, Half Acre. Oh, uh, yeah. Twin Brothers. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, wait. Yeah, that was that's right. Twin Brothers. Twin Brothers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Revolution was just getting geared up. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I was up there, Goose Island had just sold, uh, but the pubs were still owned. That was back when Wrigleyville was still open. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we did. And then we also went up to a lot of, like, uh, Michigan breweries, like Founders, uh, oh, Finger nice. Lakes. Uh, did you go, like, to Indiana? Did you get, like, um... Did Bells. Oh, yeah. We stopped in Indiana. Uh, I can't remember what it was or where it was, but it was like right on the border with Indiana, Michigan. Oh yeah, yeah, because that kind of gets into like the Indianapolis area, and stuff right, like right. that. Yeah, so that had to be interesting going to Bells and yeah, Founders. Yeah, it was really neat. Because I mean, oh, I mean, they're brewing on huge systems, right? And then uh, doing crazy stuff. Uh, like what was awesome about the brewing school is like people like John Mallet, who's a big wig Bells production, yeah. big wig of the brewers. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was one of our one of my teachers. Wow! And like all the malting companies, we went to Brees. Up in Chilton, Wisconsin, and mm. so toured that factory, and a lot of those people were were, were our instructors, and it was really neat. Was, so, so like, what was it like telling your engineering school, your engineering job? Well, I'm sure you're making a good living. I'm sure they're yeah. paying you well, yeah, yeah. insurance, oh, yeah, yeah. perks, benefits, all that stuff. You, you know, I'm getting you might notice. Okay, what are you, what are you gonna do? Every, everybody says like, oh, that must be a dream job, this and that, and and we'll get some people that want to. Take, like take that kind of route I did, and I'm mm-hmm. just very like, look, man. Unless you're seriously ready to commit your life to this, like I was like, yeah, kids, you married, you get paid, you, how, how, you work 40 hours a week, you know, you get mm-hmm. paid well, you got insurance, good, just homebrew, just perfect being a homebrew because <laughs> you're not gonna see your wife or your kids. Mm-hmm. You're gonna work 80 hours a week some weeks uh, in cold, damp, hot, right. mm-hmm. dangerous conditions. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, that had to be crazy, though, telling the job, hey, you know, I'm leaving this job that pays whatever it was paying. Yep. And with, you know, engineering is a very secure field. Well, you know, I'm leaving here and I'm going to go start a brewery. In fact, before I start a brewery, I'm going to brewery school. They were like, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Nice. So did any of those guys come by here now? That has, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That has to be interesting, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, it, the fire protection company was in my family. Oh, nice. So it, it, was, it was really... Uh, just me breaking away and my family just thinking like, yeah, what are you You'll doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> the, this is the great social experiment destined to fail that wow. didn't at all. That's got to be fun, though, like to say, hey, look, mama made it. Yep, yep. So what was your moment? Was it like, what, what was the first time you saw your beer on tap or in a store somewhere and it really just made it feel real? Um, I can't remember where it was. I mean, it did. It did feel real. But the most validating thing to hear is like just to hear an interaction where the bartender doesn't know who I am, the waitress doesn't know who I am, the customers don't know who I am. But it's over here at the end of the bar, like, let me get that Yeomans. Let me try that. What is that? And the bartender knocks out of the party explaining it, and the customers are like, that sounds great. Let me get that. And they drink it, and they talk to the bartender like, oh my god, that's mm. great. Nice. And just to hear that, like being completely removed, or like seeing people that I don't even know on Facebook wearing our shirts. 
Nice. And, like, drink your beer. And, uh, what, all right, the most validating, or, or, or the part where I was like, I made it, uh, I was in here, like, I used to brew keg. I didn't have a head brewer. Like, when we first opened the first couple months, it was me doing everything, including running tap room. Oh, wow. And uh, some guy used to come here. He still does uh, come here all the time. And, like, I was having 18-hour days. I got a shower and a, and a cot upstairs. Nice. Sometimes, yeah. And um, he, he, I guess he was going through, like, a mental rough patch. And he, he came mm-hmm. in and he's like, man, this is really cool to see you doing this. And he's like, you make my favorite thing. Like, this brown ale is my favorite thing in the world. Wow. And I was like, that's pretty humbling. Damn. And pretty awesome to have. I make somebody's favorite thing. Wow. Well, I mean, yeah, you know, Benjamin Franklin said the best. I mean, beer makes us feel how we should always feel, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> beer makes us feel how we should feel all the time. I mean, so it's got to be feeling really good. And I tell you, another place we can feel good each and every week and have life affirming moments is here on Beer It Is on the CSP Network. My name is Nubias Wilborn. And I'm here at Brewery 85. Well, apparently they're making dreams come true. Yeah. My man, Will McCameron, <laughs> man. So. Real quick, man, I, I see all the Cicerone titles up there. Explain to people what that is and how you got involved with that and how important that is to having a brewery. So it's really like, uh, it's essentially a beer sommelier. Yeah. Same thing. Uh, it's a certificate. So there's three levels, and what we all have uh, is the, I, I try to encourage everybody that works in our tap room uh, to get their level one, which is a server. It's just, right. you know, mm-hmm. foot in the door, everybody knows what it is. Level two is like actually, you know, take the essays and, and, and sensory panels where you're tasting beer where they'll spike beer and yeah i'm working on level two now it is <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard yeah. yeah it's hard man i worked on my level two but i have like real bad sinus problems mm-hmm. i actually have like an extra sinus in my nose so i'm gonna have to get some big time nose surgery before i keep pursuing that i mean it's, it's worth it it's just it, it's it's, oh, it's yeah. a very hard process and it don't, it don't make it hard because yep. to get to level three i think there's like only like 150 in the world i don't even think there's that many yeah it's like getting a master's degree yeah or, you know, your master sommelier of beer at that point, your master's is around. Yeah, I know I've met maybe three in my life. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it is a tough thing. But for the audience, the Cicerone program is a really good program. Level one, I think most people, if they work at it, you should be able to get a level one right. pretty easily. Uh, i tell you what, for people, people always ask me, like, hey, how do I get foot, my foot in the door? That's a great way. Like, that's a great resume builder, especially mm-hmm. if you don't have any experience. Uh, experiments, experience. Uh, excuse my marble mouth. Uh, that's a great foot in the door right there. Is uh, getting your level one cistern, and especially with like if you go to any kind of bar and somebody knows what that is, like a nice bar and people mm-hmm. know what a cistern is, that's you're hired. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, and they'll give you a look. So and I got to do this show, and there's a lot of different people. I, I got everything from professional brewers to home brewers to novices. So. I like that mix, but yeah, definitely the Cicerone program or BCBJ. I mean, there are a lot of good ways to get into really learning and honing your palate. Yes. And so for that, for you, man, like what's next for this brewery? Uh, growth and expansion. Uh, really, a lot of people, we, we don't even, we distribute half the state and we have like trouble keeping up wow. at this point. So who, who do you distribute with? Uh, KW Beverage in Greenville and Columbia. Okay. Uh, Comer Distribution in uh, Rock Hill and Fort Mill. We're working on Spartanburg currently. Nice. So do you want to own the state or at least be everywhere in South Carolina? Like, how yeah. far do you want to – how far uh, do you want your footprint to go? I would love to be uh, – I mean, like, uh, I'm a dog chasing a car and I just haven't caught it yet. But I guess <laughs> the ultimate goal one day is just to be a, a regional brewery, kind of like Odell. Odell out in Colorado is a good yeah. benchmark of what I'd like to do. Um, and, you know, they, they haven't sacrificed quality. Um, and, and 
to me, the most important thing is, is just quality. Because there's a balance in that. I mean, because if you get too big, mm-hmm. and when you're in a lot of places, you're not only getting your your cores or your very, I don't want to say average beers, but you know what I mean. Like, you're not getting your crazy exclusive stuff because right. you just can't make enough of that to get out of the state. Right. So that, that seems to be a concern for you, like, if, if you're somewhere, you want people to get your good stuff. Right, and we try to make sure that uh, we spread that around the market mm-hmm. and make sure that uh, – because right now we, we either brew 60 barrels of it or we brew 15 barrels of it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard to make sure that we keep our little end and then make sure everybody else gets their little sliver. Um, but I'd say next is either uh, Georgia or North Carolina, which I think Georgia is probably – we're leaning more towards Georgia. I can see that because, like, you could guys can get right into, like, that northeast Georgia, down yeah. towards Athens, which is a good craft beer market, but I think there's still room to get in there. Right. Atlanta's tough. I mean, Atlanta's a good market, but it's saturated. But I think you, could, I think you guys could do well there, though. I think uh, like one of our old head brewer, which was one of my classmates uh, in beer school, Taylor Lamb, he's mm-hmm. opening a Coney Brewing Company. Oh, yeah. So that's another, not to compete with him, but just so we can do some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. We have ideas of collaborations we want to do and have it. So we can sell it. So it'd be nice side by side. That'd be fun, man. Yeah, and I'm interested. I've been hearing about Oconee. I'm really interested in seeing what they're doing because that's an area that just doesn't have a lot of beer being made there, other than Athens area. Right. He's got a good head on his shoulders, and uh, I think he'll do really well. He's uh, he's one of the smartest brewers I know. He's a good salt of the earth. Uh, uh, Sound of a good brewer is being able to to make a judgment call and. Change things on the fly, and he can do that easily. And he's a very awesome, very, very cool, just one of the most welcoming, accepting night. Like, one of the persons that, I mean, I just want the best for him, and he deserves it. I love that, man. I mean, and I think the thing I love about this industry and why I do this show is, like, there's just so many good people who do this and want to see each other win and don't want, don't want to take away from each other but build each other up. Right. And so, for you, like, how how does that work in an area where, like, you're all fighting for shelf space? Um, I mean, it's difficult. It's difficult. Yeah. But, uh, I guess it's just uh, having a lot more patience than, I'm, than, you know, a lot of people are used to having. Because mm-hmm. uh, a, a lot of it is, you know, especially in this state, we have three tiers. and you know, three tiers just made no joke, man. Before, well, I mean, before, it, it, it works well uh, for us and, and what we do. Uh, but, you know, you have... A couple of different people that touch your beer before it gets to. It's like playing telephone with your beer sometimes, right. mm-hmm. and uh, that can be frustrating. But um, especially when it hurts other local breweries, right? You know, I, I didn't. I don't set up the intent to take other people's tasks yeah, and, and hurt people, and you know, the, the distributor game is a is a crazy game because they have certain incentives. You know, the bars I think want to pour the best beer, right? Because they want to make money. I mean, everybody wants to make money. It's just going to be really curious to see. How does it going to go in these southern states? Because, like, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee all have that three-tier system. Right. And so, basically, for the audience, you know, I, I know if it's minutes for, but, again, what it is is the three tiers is it goes from the brewer to the distributor, then to the to retailer. To restaurant, yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of that is, is really tax-based. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you think about tax from the brewery to the distributor, tax from the distributor to the restaurant, mm-hmm. tax from the restaurant right, to too. you. Yeah. Uh, but for us, it works, and our distributing partners are – Really awesome people. Well, yeah, because I mean, like, do you want the expense of having to buy trucks? Yeah, and we wouldn't be able to do beer. that. And right. like, like the marketing that they can provide, and the feet on the ground, and the word of mouth, and because mm-hmm. uh, the distributors are already there. So right. I mean, it's just more making the system more fair. But 
here in South Carolina, you guys can sell up to two cases of beer per person, right? I think it's a case per 288 ounces. Okay, so case that's one person, whole, yeah. Case per person per day. Per day. Yes, sir. So you could bring two, three guys with you and have a real nice tailgate. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that's what that's what the law is made for is just, you know, to make everybody happy. You know, right. we're, we're, not, we're not by any means cutting into a distributor's prof, uh, profits, and, and we're also – people can get the beer – Sources really awesome. See people like Warren Canning, Greenville IPA, GVL IPA off mm-hmm. the off the line, and somebody's like, <laughs> "We had." One and then it comes up in their mind, right? Yeah. Oh, and we sell uh, like if you buy a case, it's forty bucks. But we, uh, I had a guy who's like, "I'll pay a hundred. I just want one off the line." I'm like, "Don't silly, don't do that. Don't right. be a silly goose. Don't be a silly goose. <laughs> silly it'll, rabbit. It'll be the normal price. <laughs> right. It'll be the normal price. <laughs> and it's really neat that somebody can get like that fresh beer, like beer packaged that day and take it home. Wow, that is pretty cool. I mean, like you can come in, you can see it packaging. And that's your beer, right? Right. And you take it with you, and you look at the date on it, and it's today. Yeah, that's as fresh of an IPA as you'll ever get. I also have a buddy that comes in here. Like he, he makes sure that like when we're canning that beer, and so we'll throw. We can change the code data and like be like, "Hey, Robbie." <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. I like that yeah, though, yeah. man. Again, and that's a touch that I can't go to a store and get that. And I do think, and that little bit, I've done the numbers on this. Like I think in some states. Even if you guys sold twenty percent of your beer out of here, it wouldn't touch what the distributors are still doing. But it would just put more money in your pocket, right? And that's good that we can turn around. Like having this tap room uh, gives us the avail. Like uh, it's a little bit of extra money every week. Like you know, it pays. Like one week it'll pay for natural gas. One mm-hmm. week it'll pay for whole grain orders. One week it'll pay for this person's salary. You know, yeah. and it's great to have just a, a, a nice little extra bit. But again, you know, we don't try. You know, I've got a tap room on the door. We don't. We try to stay open outside of like normal restaurant hours because mm-hmm. we're not in the business of trying to compete with the people who are selling. So tell us your hours. Tell us people can find you. Uh, so we're six Whitley Court here in Greenville. We're right off the interstate, uh, exit forty eight. We're a little bit tucked behind, so just mm-hmm. go to our website eighty five dot com or Facebook slash eighty five. That's the best way to find us. We're open Wednesdays and Thursdays four to eight p.m. Uh, Fridays two to eight p.m. and Saturdays noon to five. But I think. We're going to change those hours in the coming year to mm-hmm. expand one day and expand the hours on our current days. So, I, but I can't come by and buy your beer. I have to only come by when the tasting room's open, right? Right. right. Okay. We and, and like we have a strict. <laughs> so I mean, there's a gas station like a quarter of a mile away that is a great friends of ours. Oh yeah, I've seen that spot. Man, they have some yeah, really yeah. good beer in there. Yeah. yeah. So, hey guys, you can go right over there and buy. Exactly. It. I'm sorry, <laughs> we would sell it to you, but we can't. But I mean, you know, you got to do what's fair for yep. the business and everybody and. Yep. Live the dream. And, and we have food truck here, food trucks here most days, and fun events like um, this winter. We're gonna have a winter winter's farmers market. Nice. Uh, some friends of mine were like, "Hey, we just need a space, and we can kind of scratch each other's backs." I was like, "Absolutely, let's do it. Let's do it." So, and so tell us real quick what's coming for, I guess, late winter, early spring. Uh, well, we've kind of um, shuttered. We we usually make a fat lighter IPA. Uh, which is a, a really neat kind of thing, but um, we had some issues where it just stayed at the market too long and mm-hmm. wasn't the best. For, we had to, oh, uh, yeah. I'll admit, we had to buy a little bit back, and I don't want it floating around there. Nah, uh, but see, I mean, well, I, I'd rather you buy it back than somebody drinking a six month old IPA. Right, yeah, and, and that was the last, that'd be the last thing we want, but we're going to brew some of that for the tap room only. Mm. And then uh, I'm actually working on a site. Tell, tell me about that beer, though. Tell me about that. But, so it's a big, like, really, it's like our Greenville IPA. It's a very malt forward. Um, mm-hmm. IPA, it's kind of sticky, resiny. Uh, I kind of basically be like, be like drinking a, a caramel pine cone. Okay, <laughs> all right. Um, but this is our Greenville IPA. I'll let you. This is like a a nice 
example of just a balanced. Balanced, well balanced grass, IPA. Fast forward IPA. Um, no, but the Fat Lighter is, is like one of my favorite beers. Seven percent, sticky, um, heavy, kind of like lasting IPA. Mm. Um, and then the Saison, we're looking to make a, uh, a Saison, maybe even a couple Saisons in the spring. So, would you consider this IPA like a West Coast? Um, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Uh, it's kind of an American American IPA. A broad general. I was like, what kind of? I'm going to pick three IPAs I like and I'm going to mix them. Okay. And one wasn't even IPA. It was Dale's Pale. Uh, yeah, I like Dale's Pale. Dale's Two Hearted and mm-hmm. then uh, uh, Odell's Mercenary. Ooh, okay. Yeah. And so I was like, let's kind of let's kind of figure out what flavors I like there and put them into this. And as we did, I, I can I'm picking up a bunch of different hops and mm-hmm. a bunch of different fun things. I'm really enjoying this beer. I'm going to enjoy some more beer. But we're going to get out of here. Thank you so much, yeah, Will. I really enjoyed Brew 85. I am looking forward to getting back here soon. Thank you very much. Just kind words. All right, man. Thanks, brother. Hey, guys. Listen, each and every week, beer it is. Now you know what it is. Go out, support your local brewer, buy local. And I mean by local, try to buy no more than 50 to about 80 miles away from your location if you can. Again, it's been the Bias Warborn, and we're out.